Where did you begin in your life to develop a stereotype? I've had to look at those. I'm glad I did. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Have you ever been unfairly judged because of a stereotype? Or when you hear of a terrorist attack or different civil protests that we've seen recently, do you automatically make assumptions about the participants? Today on Life, Love, and Family, we're talking about overcoming the fears and the biased thinking that leads to prejudice. I'm Dr. Greg Jantz. How can we offer hope and healing for individuals who've been affected by a stereotype? It could be something that happened to you in school many years ago, and you were improperly judged, and a stereotype was created, and you struggled with it ever since. And maybe you became a victim of bully behavior because of a stereotype. I want to look at this today, and I want to look at the fears and the distortions that enter into our thinking. I grew up in an area of the country that there were clear stereotypes. I didn't understand it, but when we moved to another area of the country, it was really different. Has that been the case for you? What do we need to do as individuals to deal with some hurt that we've carried or to examine our own thinking and what happened to our thinking? Kara's in the studio with me. The fact that you're looking at the root causes and that there's healing involved, that's just really exciting. What may be surprising is that nearly everyone is subject to some form of prejudiced behavior. There's stereotypes based on all kinds of things. Have you ever heard that lawyers are sharks? Have you ever heard somebody say blondes are dumb? Hey. (laughs) That's one. Uh, That Californians, that's the liberal state. In many other countries, Americans could be described as fat, arrogant, gun-toting, snobs? Have you been a victim of some of the ugly stereotypes? Are you even guilty by association because of your faith or where you were born or your age, perhaps even your occupation? Have you been on that receiving end of being victimized? Now, that's a strong word, but to be victimized by another's prejudiced behavior. And more importantly, do you believe the same kinds of generalizations about other groups of people. Where I grew up, there was people that lived on the other side of the tracks. There was something wrong with being on the other side of the tracks. This prejudice behavior comes from fear. It's the fear of the unknown or an improper message that got implanted in us by family or loved ones. And it's led to suspicion and discrimination And maybe we're afraid to relate with another person that we've perceived as different and we've put them in a category of stereotype. There are those that we say because of who they are, they're they're probably likely and prone to be violent. Fear. Fear destroys us, families, societies. And do you know somebody who's, for example, afraid to travel? 
and they'll say things like, that's the way these people are. Where have you had that said about you? And let's talk to today about how we can examine our own selves. I realized that because of the way I was raised unknowingly, that there was a group of people that I had biased thinking towards. And wouldn't you know how God works? Growing up, one of those individuals that were on the other side of the tracks ended up being my best friend. (laughs) God had another plan. Sometimes those judgments we make about others are critical and harsh. Really, at times, there can be a sense of wishing harm on another person. We can cross a line in our thinking, and, and we'll even say, well, if something happens, we go, well, they all, they deserved it, because that stereotype is so strong. So Brian is joining us with a question. He says, I'm a husband and father of two girls, so understand I'm for equality in the workplace, but I didn't get the promotion I deserved because the company had to meet some quota for women in management positions. And this happens. I heard the word quota, and it's got to look fair. And in doing so, we will make at times judgments or decisions based upon how things need to look versus about how maybe they really need to be. And then that ends up victimizing or hurting others. And you end up being caught in the middle of that, which is what happened here. I would continue to stand steady and be careful that we're not carrying bitterness towards a boss or a system or towards a person that got elevated into that system because of gender. And in fact, show yourself worthy as a great team player and increase your value even more. And you can do that. Watch what will happen if you watch your attitude. And if you do this with a pure heart, what could potentially happen for you in the next six months? Remember, in the workplace, things change. People do come and go, and there's a natural process with that. So you remain steady and guard your heart. It's easy in situations where this happened in the workplace for us to withdraw and not be a part of things and to keep a distance because of what's happened and you don't want to participate in what's happened. But then you end up hurting the whole process for yourself. I'm reminded of countless situations because of our work in the area of eating disorders in the area of people struggling in a relationship with food and or weight, that many times we've seen people, and they'll come from across the country, from all over, traveling to be able to work with us and go through our program as it relates to food or food addiction or as it relates to weight. And over and over, I have heard the words, and, and this is a paraphrase, that I have been judged by my size. And there's a bias because of my size and I haven't been able to have a promotion or there's heavy judgments from my peers. I know there are people talking about me and there's a bias or a stereotype that has been created because you feel judged. And in fact, many times you are by your size. Has that been you? Have you ever been judged by your size? And, or you've noticed that maybe when you lost weight, how differently you were treated. This is a stereotype and this can be a destructive bias. The person that unknowingly has developed some resentments because of how you've been judged by others 
And then you've carried that around inside and you've been hurt. And that anger has festered and festered inside and you've become embittered. And it was a slow process, but before you know it, your insides emotionally have been rotted out with resentment. And you've become so embittered towards people that you have very harsh judgments towards others because of how you've been treated and how hurtful that that is. It's been difficult for you. I want to let you know that we see those situations where over time you didn't realize how much you've been hurt and damaged because of other people's judgments towards you and you didn't really understand or know what to do. Then here's what we do. We cross the line and we create self-destructive behaviors. So then we turn to food. Then we turn to alcohol. Then we turn to escapism behaviors, overspending, hoarding, inappropriate use of the internet through pornography or just escapism behavior through social media. And we begin to look for a way to cope that is self-destructive because ultimately if we follow that back, you've been injured and you've been hurt, but now you're looking for a way to cope with it. And one group of people that this can come from is our family. Maybe you've married somebody that your family has had harsh stereotypes or harsh judgments about, and, and it's created so much stress and family stress, and it's created stress between you and your spouse because of a family's reaction and how a family's treated somebody who you love. We're talking about today stereotypes and the damage that it does. Sometimes the hardest step is recognizing the old voices that have influenced you out of fear. Connect with Dr. Jantz on his website at aplaceofhope.com. We have a question from Bill actually talking about family. He says, how do I deal with extended family when they make racist jokes and commentary, either on things that they see on TV or in their own relationships with others? Do I say something? Do I leave the room? What do I do? Yes. And one of the things that happens is, is it's kind of like me, one, against the group of other family members who are participating in this. And so I stand up and I'm going to be the oddball because I'm not a part of the group now. So be prepared when I stand up and I say what needs to be said. At times, I can be pushed farther away. Right. Because I'm not a part of the group and I'm choosing not to participate in that. Now, if I haven't set a boundary initially, I need to. And that boundary may look like I don't feel good about us saying these things about another person. You need to begin to speak up and put it in your own words. But it's a boundary. It's a boundary about how another person's being treated. So you're going to speak up. Understand there can be repercussions, particularly from family. But do it knowing the risk. And then you may systematically find yourself moving away because emotionally they're not safe. And here's the thing. If they're talking about other people that way, how are they potentially talking about you then? Good point. Okay. So you may not be the only one that they are talking this way about. We generally talk about other people in these ways because we fear or we're jealous We, at times, are saying things about others in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, and that's what happens, because it gives us a sense of two things, power and control. You wrote a book. It's called Hope and Healing from Emotional Abuse, and there is a wonderful section at the end. There's a whole chapter on getting over your past, and I was looking through it again, and you have traits, 
of a healthy communicator. Oh, yeah. And then you also have this whole thing on characteristics of healthy problem solving. And I just thought that just is so cool because now it's giving the power and the strength back to the person who feels attacked, regardless of whether they change their mind or change their tune or improve. You can't rely on someone else to change. Yes. Yeah, so what happens when you sit down with a person that you realize you've had some biases towards or you've made judgments based upon past messages that have been given to you and you sit down and you look at them eye to eye and, and you make a purposeful point in learning more about them. Wonder what could happen. Stereotypes, judgments, as we get into relationship, we begin to see, and we're, what we're talking about is loving another through the eyes of Christ. We do have a question from Clarence. He says he's always thought the word tolerance, you know, as it's used to talk about interacting with other people, is kind of a bad word in the sense that we learn to tolerate things we don't like. He said, frankly, I, I don't want to be tolerated. You know, I want people to actually enjoy being around me. Sometimes I tolerate what I believe to be unacceptable or unacceptable behavior. Right. Okay, well, I guess we just got to tolerate him. That's the way he is. What if we change that to, I'm going to practice acceptance. Mm -hmm. And acceptance does not imply agreement. I can have acceptance towards a person. I don't agree with everything about them, but I'm going to accept them, which means I'm going to take a loving and accepting approach towards them. So I'm going to say remove the idea of tolerance because tolerance, the word tolerance means there's a prejudgment. I'm tolerating you because I'm judging you to be a certain way already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And if you're the one that feels like others are tolerating you, then I need to look at myself and am I doing anything that could be a contributing towards this pattern that I find myself in? Have I separated myself out from my peer group? Can my separating out such that I appear to be the oddball. Have I set myself up any way for this? And then find ways to integrate back in by being accepting of others, which means I'm going to have to reach out to others. And reach out means I'm going to have to engage with them. Too often because fear stops us from doing that reaching out, and we keep ourselves locked in this this tolerance zone. I really can relate to this question from Clarence too. I live in a neighborhood and when we first moved in, they had this welcome to the neighborhood party and you know, the neighbors are invited and that was just lovely. This couple who lived there, they asked what we did. And I said that I was in ministry and immediately they assumed that I was an enemy. They mm -hmm. are a, um, a gay couple. Mm -hmm. From that point on, every time that there would be a party, literally half of the block would get invited. And those of us who they knew were Christians were not invited. And it became a very odd thing. So every year right. at Christmas, I have a party and I invite the entire neighborhood and they don't come, but I still invite. And it's just you're awkward. reaching, You're reaching out and you're doing the next step. You're in, attempting at least to engage. Well, the idea of just assuming that my instinct would be to hate because of my religion is just really sad. One of the things that I see in working with folks is the stereotypes that we carry don't cause us to feel any better about ourselves. No. If you're walking around with heavy judgments towards people, or I've seen this where people who are struggling or they're overweight and they feel heavily judged, and, and if you are a person and you've carried a spirit of heavy judgment towards others, which basically means if you're judging them, you're 
treating them as though they're inferior. You're treating them with, at times, blame and really a lack of understanding. And we need to ask ourselves, I know we used to hear this a lot, but what would Jesus do? And what's our approach to this person? What would Jesus do? If we use that as our filter for dealing with stereotypes, what would Jesus do? What a difference that may make. It causes us to really look at ourselves and you go, why am I struggling with this? What's going on? Where did you begin in your life to develop a stereotype? I had family members that certainly had that. I had messages given to me growing up. I've had to look at those. I'm glad I did. There's a reward in relationships when we take those risks. On Life, Love, and Family, the subject is overcoming prejudiced thinking. The Center, a place of hope. It can help. 888-771-5166. There are times where we find ourselves making a mistake by either laughing in an inappropriate joke that in essence victimizes another person or we're laughing at a story or we're participating in it to become a part of that group to have acceptance. I'm participating in something that I know is not healthy, not right. It contains heavy judgments towards other people. We're probably doing that in order for us to fit in because we're afraid. It's the person in the workplace or even at church. You go along with something and you laugh, but you felt inside, that's not right. If you catch yourself and you see that that's something you've been doing, what do you do? I think, first of all, we've got to be aware. And then we find ourselves pulling back and not participating in, in laughter. And sometimes it can be that simple. I have a boundary that I'm not going to participate in that. It, something, a story or an appropriate joke may be told in my presence. I'm obvious that I'm not participating in it. And so that's an emotional boundary that I'm putting because I'm not joining in. And I think in most of those situations, we generally will gain respect. Now, the problem is if we want to debate with another person and turn it into a debate, turn it into something political, turn it into something racial, that's probably where the greater problem is. It's really powerful when we don't participate and we're not engaging in it. We have a question from Sarah. She says, my family of origin is very conservative and they'll make comments about race that can be very hurtful. Now, they've never done it around my husband but I know that he knows how they behave. He doesn't want to see them as much anymore. And we have a son and my husband doesn't want our son to feel any type of racism. I want everybody to spend more time together, but I don't even know where to start to make things better. You're right. You use the word conservative. I come from conservative. I might look at a different word. <laughs> oh, okay. A conservative family is not one that is bigoted or biased. I can be conservative, but that doesn't mean I'm judgmental towards others. Look at, there's an inherent bias against, it sounds like against your husband in this particular situation. And we need to remember in marriage, we are one and we will be one voice and we will stand up boldly to address this. So that may mean I may be limiting time with family. I'm doing this as one. We're married. We are one and we are going to be one voice. And there may be a time where we even share that we're uncomfortable about certain things. There's a time where we do speak up about this. I've had situations where persons had to speak up and say, and you know, if this doesn't change, then 
we're not going to be able to see you or our grandkids aren't in the same way and as much. There will be some real limitations that we're going to experience. Bringing it to the forefront and being bold about it, particularly when it's a marriage involved. What can we do as parents to really help guide our children into stronger, healthier thinking of, of all people? We do it through our own actions and words. Right. And when we see our kids, because peer groups at school, kids can get almost bullied behavior towards others that they see as different. We're willing to talk about that. But we do this by our love and action and concern. We also want to develop something called compassion. And so when you see situations, really help them identify with, how do you think this other person felt? And you develop a compassion. Mm. You're working on developing a true care and concern, or in other words, compassion for how another person may have been treated. And it's amazing what happens. I have a son, my younger son, and he is so amazing with such a wide variety of friends. I'm always incredibly surprised because he brings such a variety of friends home. He's loving on them in a compassionate way. And I've just been watching this happen for him. And it's, I share this, not to talk about my own son, but I share this in that we can teach this. And we can teach our kids to be compassionate and loving towards others who may at first seem different. I say at first because usually we're making heavy judgments. Today on Life, Love, and Family, we're talking about the fears that lead to prejudice and discrimination. We have Carl joining us. Welcome to the program. Go right ahead. Hi. You know, I may have, uh, I came into the program a little bit late today. I want to ask you this question here. Uh, We were at uh, at actually Christmas dinner and uh, a mother asked a question and uh, I didn't quite know the answer. She says, you know, uh, well, she's older, you know, she grew up in the South in uh, St. Louis and Louisiana. All right. And and she's like 70, she's 70 years old now. Her question was, why do white people hate or dislike black people? That was her question. That was her question. A lot question. of assumptions go along with that, but, you know, I, you know, I didn't quite know how that, you know, because she felt this king of racism a lot growing up, and, and doesn't, that, you know, and it's hard to get past that. So uh, how would you answer that question? How, how do you think I should answer that question? For? Well, um, if I don't know the answer, I'll always ask a question of the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded question, because it also yeah. is making an assumption that is not true uh, universally. I would tend to put those kind of questions back on the person and go, well, why do you think it is? Or, or tell me about your question. She felt like when a young black people were being killed, like, you know, with the, with the, with the Trayvon Martin thing, especially the Michael Brown thing, like she grew up in St. Louis. Yes. That the, the response in the media and response to certain people was not like, you know, her, her position is, you know, one person has a, is an authority and, and has the choice of using lethal force. One person is an 18 year old teenager who, might not be all that, you know, people at 18 make all kinds of crazy mistakes because right. they're kids, you know. So why wasn't this young man looked at as, as an 18-year-old kid? Because, you know, I have kids from 12 years old or actually 2-year-old up to 27 years old. And, and I know 18, they're kids, you know, and they're like, wow, it's a kid's a kid, you know. Um, so why was this young person, this 18-year-old kid, or in case one of the 4- to 17-year-old kid, uh, given, looked at as a child and give the benefit you might give a child? One of the things, and, and that's so good, and I'm sure this question represents many others, because we do at times get asked these awkward questions that are really loaded. At times, my response really is, I don't know, 
but I find it really sad and just acknowledge the emotion of it. I don't know why some people do this. I don't have an understanding of it myself. I find it extremely sad and there's times it's just really disturbing. Then I might ask them, what do you think about it or what do you think we should do? So I'm going to continue the conversation by open-ended questions. I, I'm, gotcha. going to, I'm going to acknowledge this is sad. This is sad. I agree with you. And I don't know why some people are this way. And I would ask, have you ever had anything where you feel like you've been affected by this? Because we're going to find a common ground of connecting, showing a mutual love and respect for one another. So I'm going to ask more questions. Thank, Thank you, you Carl. We do have a chat question from Scott. He says he's a man of short stature and he feels that people think less of him because of his height. So he said, when I used to manage a retail store, I would overhear people say things like, Scott has a Napoleon syndrome. And as a manager, some of my decisions are difficult, but we all have to make tough decisions. So it's been really hurtful. It's happened many times. How can I talk to someone without sounding weak or overly sensitive? <laughs> sure. You know that there's judgments that are being made about you already. And you're going to overcome those biases by not only your behavior, but by your words and how you treat others. So the Napoleon complex, which means I'm short, so I'm going to rule the world. You've got to make sure that you're not carrying any hurt and baggage that's still present for you, that you are going to in any way mistreat others or try to gain power over others because of that. And there are people that we, we look to really overcompensate in one area because we feel so inferior in another. Do a, a heart check. Make sure that you're not doing those things or if that's present, that needs to be addressed. And you are going to show people how great you are with your words. Here's the thing about stereotypes. We always feel better in the absence of them. It's the song of the redeemed Rising from the African plain It's the song of the forgiven Drowning out the Amazon rain The song of Asian believers Filled with God's holy fire Every tribe, every tongue, every nation A love song born of a grateful choir It's all God's children singing glory, glory Hallelujah, He reigns Have you ever been unfairly judged by an ugly stereotype? Maybe you feel angry about the injustice that you've seen or saddened by the unhealthy divisions among people. As you've listened today, did you realize for the first time that prejudice and hatred are actually rooted in fear? The good news is there is hope, and you can begin to overcome the fears, correct the distorted thinking, and find peace. I'm Dr. Greg Jantz, founder of The Center, A Place of Hope. And together with Dr. Tim Clinton and Life, Love, and Family, we have all the resources that you need. Call us anytime. 855-455-3264. That's 855-455-3264. If you want to share what you've heard today, you can listen to the program again 
or send it to somebody you love from our website at lifeloveandfamily.net. Let's love as Christ does. And let's remember that we saw a number of years ago that so many of us wore those little bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? Use that as your guide today. Life, Love, and Family. You know the feeling where you're tired and unmotivated and sometimes you get mad for no reason. And maybe you don't like what it's doing to your family or to your job. That's why the Center for Counseling and Health Resources has been there for people for more than 30 years. They take a whole person care approach that'll look at everything from your nutrition, your vitamin balances, your mind, your spirit. Call 1-888-771-5166 or for help right now visit aplaceofhope.com. 